Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. Today, Dr. Forrest presents part five of the series, Tools of Prayer for America. Say it with me. We are a church growing and thriving, overflowing with love, strengthening the family, transforming the community, impacting the world, where every member is a minister and a church alive is worth the drive. Woohoo! Come on, let me hear you. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Well, we've been talking about tools of prayer for America. This is part five. And for those who might have missed some of the sessions, I encourage you to go to your, to our podcast and listen to the series in its entirety or pick up any sessions that you might have missed. Amen. Hallelujah. The whole reason we started this series is because I had a dream, a prophetic dream on the 6th of July. And in that dream, the Lord asked me to do three things. Number one. He asked me to issue a call to prayer for America. Number two, he asked me to honor the prayers of our forefathers, especially the prayers of President Abraham Lincoln. And number three, he gave me a giant toolbox and he said, I want you to issue tools of prayer that Christians can use to pray for America more powerfully and more effectively. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, I am not a nationally known pastor yet. And others are out there issuing calls to prayer. But I have to issue the call to prayer the way the Lord gave it to me. Amen. I have to be obedient to the heavenly vision, just like Paul said. Hallelujah. So I encourage you to go back to the first episode in the series. Again, I'm encouraging you to go to the podcast. GoFaithLife.com. There's two buttons on the home page that say podcast. It's a no-brainer. Just hit the podcast. It'll take you there. Amen. Hallelujah. I encourage you to go back and listen to the first episode and then all of the uh, sessions in sequence, because in the first episode, I described this dream in detail and I also tracked down and read the national call to prayer that President Lincoln issued for April 30th, 1863. And it's powerful and it's very, very uh, prophetic in the sense that if you read that prayer and you think about America of 2018, it is still a very relevant prayer, even though it's 155 years old. So I encourage you to go back and listen to the dream and also listen to President Lincoln's proclamation. Amen. So when I woke up from the dream, I asked the Lord, why this sense of urgency? I know we need to pray for America, but why the sense of urgency? And this is what he told me. And I heard this with the inward audible voice. Now, I've heard the audible voice of God one time while I was awake, many times in my dreams, but also many times on the inside. I know you've experienced this as well. If you've been walking with the Lord any length of time, there are times when the Lord will speak so clearly to you. It's like an audible voice on the inside. Raise your hand if you've had that happen. It's very, very common. The Lord said, Jesus is the light of the world. But America is the conveyor of that light to the nations. As America goes, so goes the world. Therefore, pray for America. That's what he said to me. And so I delayed a little bit until the Lord got on me. He said, I wanted you to teach that series after you got back from New Orleans. And I was actually about three weeks late. So, so that's the reason we started this series. There is a darkness 
that threatens to overtake us as a nation. And in order to push back that darkness, we need to pray that righteousness, truth, and justice prevail in America. Amen? It sounds cliched, but it is so true. We need to pray that righteousness, truth, and justice prevail in our government, in our country, in America. Amen? Hallelujah. Now, I know I sound like a broken record. Maybe I should update my phraseology. I was thinking about this yesterday. For the millennials, I know I sound like a a malfunctioning MP3 file, but I'm going to say it again. Hallelujah. This call to prayer is especially important when it comes to the upcoming fall midterm elections. Amen. We need to get this one right. Amen. And I'm not up here to preach politics because I don't want our politics to divide us. But I'll tell you one thing. If you're a believer, if you're born again, especially if you're spirit filled, you have an obligation to pray that righteousness, truth and justice prevail in America. And you have an obligation to vote accordingly. You need to ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, which of these candidates will uphold your agenda for America? Which of these candidates, I don't care what party they belong to, which of these candidates stand for righteousness, truth, and justice in America? And you need to vote for those people. Amen? Hallelujah. Enough said. Like I said, I sound like a broken MP3. Amen. Hallelujah. It's okay to laugh. That's a joke. Ha, that was especially for you, Bill, since you you work in that realm. Amen. Maybe I sound like a broken wave file. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So getting back to the dream, the Lord gave me a huge gray toolbox. So huge that if I wasn't in a dream, I don't think I could have held it up. It was that big. (laughs) And he had me put it on a table uh, that was long and narrow perpendicular in such a way that it formed a cross. And then I opened up the toolbox, and there were thousands of people there from all different nationalities, all different ethnic groups, but they were all Americans, and the majority of them were Christians. And the Lord said, issue tools of prayer to these people so they can pray more powerfully and more effectively for America. And I remembered the cross And the Lord said, that's because all the tools of prayer are rooted and grounded in the finished work of the cross of Jesus Christ. And so all the tools we're going to talk about go back to the cross and what Jesus did in his death, burial, resurrection and ascension that gave us the authority to use these tools. And Jesus is giving me tools and saying, these tools are not being used by the body of Christ. Why don't you remind them what's available in their toolbox? Amen. Hallelujah. So the ones that the Holy Spirit gave me, the tools of prayer that the Holy Spirit gave me were number one, binding and loosing. Number two, the prayer of agreement. Number three, the name of Jesus. Number four, the blood of Jesus. Number five, fasting and prayer. And number six, spirit led prayer. Amen. Hallelujah. And as I've said before, you can use these tools to pray for yourselves, your families, your fellow saints. But our focus in this series is how we can use these tools to pray more powerfully and effectively for America. Again, there's that broken MP3 or WAV file. 
I think I said that three times already. Amen. So, so far, we've discussed the prayer of binding and loosing, the prayer of agreement, and we started last week on the name of Jesus. Amen. This morning, we'll finish up with the name of Jesus and wrap things up with another sample prayer, which emphasizes the importance of lifting up the name of Jesus over America. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, if you want to follow along, we're going to be reading a lot of scripture this morning. You know, it's okay to read scripture in church. Amen. Hallelujah. Just think of it as Dr. Scott's story time. I'm going to read to you. Amen. We started our study by diving into Acts chapter 3 and then also Acts chapter 4. And we saw that not only is the name of Jesus mentioned frequently in these passages, but each time that name appears, it emphasizes vital truths that we can embrace about the name of Jesus. It's just wonderful, full of revelation. And I'm not about to be able to tap into all of it, but I'm going to give you the high points. And all the action in these passages centers on the man who had been lame from birth, laid at the gate beautiful. When Peter and John passed him, he was looking for some alms of them. Amen. Remember the story? He got healed instantly by Peter and John in the name of Jesus. Not only just the name of Jesus, they said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And we're going to get into why that's so significant here in just a bit. Amen. Hallelujah. So last week we started looking at the miracle itself and what we could learn about the name of Jesus through that miracle and through the aftermath of that miracle. So I'd like to begin this morning by rereading Acts chapter 3, verse 6, which I've already quoted pretty much. One of the most quoted and familiar verses in the Bible. Acts 3, 6. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Amen. Don't you wish you could have been a fly on one of the temple columns <laughs> watching that happen? Amen. Glory to God. Now, I want you to pay particular attention to the title used here, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. We talked about this last week, but I listened to the podcast and I felt like I, I could have done a better job of explaining why this is so significant. First of all, when you go through the Gospels and the book of Acts and read the title Jesus Christ or Jesus the Anointed One, that's what Christ means. That term is emphasizing the divinity of Jesus. But when you read the title Jesus of Nazareth, it's tying Jesus to a place in Israel, a town where his mother and his stepfather lived. Amen. So it's emphasizing his humanity. Amen. But when you put the two together, and it's only found in two places, Acts chapter 3, 6 and Acts chapter 4, 12, all having to do with this one miracle. When you put the two together, Jesus Christ of Nazareth is actually better translated this way. Jesus, the anointed one of Nazareth. Amen. This is emphasizing both his divinity and his humanity. Amen. Glory to God. When Peter and John performed this miracle in the name of Jesus, the anointed one of Nazareth, they were introducing the God-man Jesus to the nation of Israel. It's the very first time 
the name of Jesus is used to perform a miracle after the day of Pentecost. The very first time. And for that reason alone, it's noteworthy and we should take a closer look because we can learn some things about Jesus, the anointed one of Nazareth. Amen. First of all, if he is both God and man, how does that work? You know, I've got a mathematical mind. I taught math and statistics and calculus, and so I think with a math kind of thinking mind. So how does that work? Well, he is fully God and fully man. That's the way the theologians say it. Now, I'm not a theologian, so here's the way I say it. He is 100% God and 100% man. He's not 50-50, you know. He's not half God, half man. In fact, I mentioned this last week when I was the director of our Bible school in Louisiana. I taught a class on the life of Christ, and one of the questions was, true or false? Jesus Christ was 50% man and 50% God. And as many times as I told those students over a 10-week period, he is 100% God and 100% man. I still got half the class that missed that question. I was so disappointed, you know. I told them, I said, you know, I'm liable to make the exam next time just that one question, you know. Then maybe people would pay attention, you know. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So, He is fully God and fully man. And just like Peter and John introduced this God-man Jesus, the first of his kind, a prototype, a forerunner, they introduced Jesus Christ, the God-man, to the nation of Israel. But it's our duty as Christians in America to introduce Jesus, the anointed one of Nazareth, the God-man, to our country, to America. Amen? There's not a lot of people out there that know the God-man. They know about Jesus, the teacher. They know about the legend of Jesus. Some people think he was just a prophet, just a good man, not really the son of God. But I'm telling you, he is the God-man. He is 100% God and 100% man. And if America ever got that revelation as a country, it would change this nation forever. Amen. You know, the Bible says that Jesus was the firstborn of many brethren. He was, like I said, a forerunner, a prototype. And it also says one day we will be just like him. We will. Now, this is this is like science fiction, but it's in the Bible. You know, I always tell people, listen, read the Bible. It's more fantastic than any science fiction or 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 fantasy novel that you could ever read. You got creatures, you got angels, you got one day we'll be indestructible, immortal beings. We'll be like superheroes. We'll be ruling and reigning with Christ over normal human beings and we'll be different from them. You know, we'll be charged with ruling and reigning with him and maybe you and your friend will be walking down the street of your town and you'll watch two bank robbers go into a bank and they close and lock the door behind them and you say, not so fast. So you walk through the wall of the bank and you say, stop in the name of Jesus. They turn their guns to you and empty them. And either the bullets pass through you or they just like the matrix. You know, you do this like this, you know, and they fall to the ground. I'm telling you, it's going to be so way cool. Amen. You won't find anything more cool in any sci-fi or fantasy novel that you could ever write or read. Amen. 
Think about this. I used to say this to the Bible students all the time. Up in the stables of heaven, there's a flying horse with your name on it. Amen. Glory to God. Woo! It's going to be fun. Hallelujah. All right. Now, that was what we call the theological, homiletical, hermeneutical terms. That was a rabbit path. But it was a good one because we caught some really juicy rabbits. Amen. Hallelujah. All right. So this week, I want to dig further into Acts chapter 4 and pick up some things that I wasn't able to get to last week. And we're going to read, or I'm going to read to you. Remember Dr. Scott's story time. The lame man at the beautiful gate. Acts chapter 4, verse 1 through 31. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read it. And when I get to a point where I feel like I need to commentate, be a commentator, I'm going to take a few minutes to commentate on the verse. You know what commentators are, most of them? Commentators. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't listen to them anymore. I would a, a donkey brain in a tin barn, you know. I don't spend much time reading commentaries. I listen to the Holy Spirit when I read the Bible and he teaches me. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm not saying they're bad and I'm not saying don't read the commentaries. I'm just saying it's not a big part of my life. If the Lord ever leads me that way. I'll go listen to what some of the theologians have to say. But now I'm listening to the Holy Ghost, the master theologian of the universe. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So Acts chapter four, hang on, put on your seatbelt. This is going to be awesome. Verse 1, and as they spake unto the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. Now, give you a little refresher background. They healed this guy. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have given thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he went walking and leaping and praising God. They took him into the temple and a crowd gathered and Peter preached to them. Amen. Glory to God. And then. The Sadducees got all upset about it because not only were they preaching the name of Jesus, they were preaching the resurrection from the dead. And there were two main political religious groups that were dominant at the time, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees believed in the bodily resurrection from the dead. The Sadducees did not. That's why they were sad, you see. <laughs> Hallelujah. Glory to God. Now, you've probably heard that before, but I couldn't resist. Hallelujah. And as they spake unto the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold until the next day, for it was now eventide. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. Praise the Lord. One healing at the gate beautiful and the crowd gathers in the temple and God adds 5,000 families to an already rapidly growing church in Jerusalem. Peter had just preached on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 souls were added to the church. They went from 120 to 3,120 in one day. When they preached the name of Jesus and healed this man, 5,000, not just men, 5,000 families, because it says they just counted the men. 5,000 families added to the church, amen. 
I believe that kind of growth for America. I believe that kind of growth for North Carolina, for Wilmington. And I believe for that kind of growth here at Faith Life Fellowship. Hallelujah. I don't mind the fact that we're a small church now, but I do not believe we're supposed to stay a small church. I do not believe that. Because as you grow and you get more people that are filled with the spirit and put their hand to the plow, you get more people that can help you with the vision. You have more resources to do more things and help more people. It's not a ego thing. Well, I have a church of 500 people, you know. My pastor, I came from a church of 3,000 people, just so you know. And my pastor launched me out to start this church. Amen. Glory to God. But when he goes to pastor's conferences, he says the most irritating question people ask him is how big is your church? You know what? He says, I don't tell them. My church is Word of Life Center in Shreveport, and we are a very successful church. He refuses to say how many people are on the rolls, you know? Because it's just not important as an ego thing. You know what I'm saying? It's important that word of life, you know, because they're so large, they they support, I think, last count, 40 missionaries worldwide. You know, that's the kind of thing a large church can do. But he doesn't brag about it, and he doesn't uh, treat it as notches in his belt. Amen. It's just resources, people, blessings come to this church so that we can do more for the kingdom. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So I'm believing for a big church. I tell you, the Lord has already told me in a vision that we're going to have at least 100. And he told me the first 100 in your church are going to be predominantly older. And there's going to be also with the older people, babes in Christ. So you're going to have a mix of older, mature believers and young baby believers. Amen. And that is manifesting. Amen. Hallelujah. So I said, Lord, I'm not stopping at 100, though, because <laughs> you said the first 100. Amen. That means there is a second and a third 100. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Woo. Glory. Help me get on track, Lord. Hallelujah. So in the first five verses of this chapter, we see that the name of Jesus was not exactly popular with the religious crowd. And it's the same today. You can talk about Jesus, but when you start using the name of Jesus to cast out devils, to lay hands on the sick, to cleanse lepers, to raise the dead, then the religious people get really riled up because that doesn't happen in their church. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. They weren't too thrilled that they were preaching the resurrection either, as we've already said. So they put them in jail overnight until they could bring them before the Sanhedrin. The next day, the Sanhedrin was a group of 70 leaders that were the religious rulers of the day. And so we pick it up at verse 5, and they're before the Sanhedrin, or getting ready to go before verse 5. And it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? It's all about the name. Amen. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel. If we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man by what means he is made whole, 
Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. No other name but the name of Jesus. Now, the word translated as salvation here literally means deliverance, preservation, safety, or salvation. I like to think about it like this. When Jesus came to save the world, he came with a complete salvation. He came to save you spirit, soul, and body. Amen. He didn't leave anything out. Hallelujah. He came to bring deliverance, preservation, safety, and salvation. Amen. So there's two major ways we can use the name of Jesus in our prayers, specifically for our prayers or in our prayers for America. Amen. Number one, we can pray to the Father in Jesus' name, the name that represents everything that he's done for us in his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. And we can believe and intercede for the deliverance, the preservation, the safety, and salvation of America. Amen. Hallelujah. Number two, we can lift up the name of Jesus over America and do everything, everything we can empowered by him to introduce that name into every sphere of influence in our great nation. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Amen. And if we'll do that, America will be changed by the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ, the anointed one of Nazareth, can change America. And as I said many times in this series, America's only hope is Jesus. There is no plan B. Plan A is Jesus. It's either Jesus or failure. Jesus or defeat. Jesus or darkness takes over our nation. I choose Jesus. I'm going to lift up the name of Jesus. I'm going to lift up the God-man Jesus. 100% God and 100% man. Fully God, fully man. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory. Hallelujah. Verse 13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Amen. It pays to spend time with Jesus. It pays to spend time in his presence. Amen. If you spend time in the presence of God, if you fellowship with Jesus, your Lord, it will help you overcome any deficiencies you might have in education and or decorum. Amen. If you spend time with Jesus and in his presence, you can go toe to toe with the most intellectual minds in the country. Amen. Because you got something they don't have. You had the light and the life and the glory of Jesus Christ living on the inside of you. Amen. You got the master creator on the inside. You got the wisdom of God on the inside of you. You got the mind of Christ. I'm telling you, Jesus, if you study John chapter one, Jesus, when he was the word of God, he was God's agent of creation. You know, last week uh, we read that uh, they said you crucified the prince of life. Well, you look at the original language there and it actually means you crucified the author of life. Darby says the originator of life. 
So you crucified the originator of all life on planet Earth, but God raised him for the dead. Because how could death hold the originator of life? It's not possible. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I get excited about this stuff. You know, this is not a fantasy. This is not a pipe dream. This is not a wish. These truths are reality. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. So spend time with Jesus, and you can go toe-to-toe with the geniuses, so-called, of our generation. Amen. You know, I listen to some of the drivel that comes from these so-called educated intellectuals, and I'm going, how could you be so dumb? You know, over there in Romans chapter 1, it says, uh, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Worshiping the creation more than the creator. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. All right. Praise the Lord. Again, y'all pray. Lord, help him get the train of his thought back on the rails. Hallelujah. 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 Verse 14. And beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. I love that. You can advance all the theological arguments you want to, but a miracle settles the argument. Amen. I just laid hands on this man in the name of Jesus, and that's why he's healed. The name through faith in that name has made him whole. Hallelujah. Like I said, a miracle always settles the argument. You know, I had people come to me uh, and tell me that the age of miracles is past, you know, and I remember I, I always tell them the same thing because this started back in the 80s. People would come to me and said, miracles are past. You know, all that's passed away. Or worse yet, it's of the devil. You know, Jesus said you're on thin ice if you attribute the works of Jesus to the works of the devil. Okay. Uh, that's all I want to say about that. Okay. People would come to me and try to talk me out of what I believed. And they didn't realize, but by the time they got to me, I'd already seen body parts replaced. I'd seen limbs grow in the name of Jesus. So I would always tell them the same thing. I'm sorry, you're too late. I've already seen it. (laughs) You can advance all your theological arguments against me, but I'm telling you, I've seen miracles, and you can't talk me out of it. Amen? Hallelujah. Verse 15, But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. Again, I say, it's always the religious crowd that gets upset when you start using the name of Jesus in word, in deed, and authority. Amen. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Amen. Amen. Make up your mind that you're going to obey God and not man. You're going to lift up the name of Jesus, whether it's popular to do so or not. Amen. Verse 21, so when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people for all men glorified God for that which was done. 
for the man was above 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing was showed. And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word, by stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. Glory to God. Man, I like the attitude of these guys. Hey, so they've threatened us not to preach again in the name of Jesus. And make no mistake about it, whether explicitly stated or not, they were telling them, if you keep preaching the name of Jesus, you will suffer the same fate that he did. But I like their attitude. So here's how they responded. They respond by asking God for boldness so they can preach the name of Jesus even more visibly and say, do it through signs, wonders, and miracles, which is a very visible thing. Amen? Which is exactly what happened with the guy at the gate. Beautiful. It was a very visible, notable miracle because everybody there had seen that man for 40 years laid at the gate. They knew he was lame. They looked at his feet. They knew there was not strength in those feet for him to walk. And yet in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, he rose up and walked and he went leaping and praising God. Amen. So they say, we want more of that. We don't care if we still get in trouble. We want to preach the name of Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Now, I like that. That's a bold prayer in and of itself. Lord, give us more boldness so we can do it some more. We just got in trouble, but give us more of what got us in trouble because we want to preach more the name of Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. I like this statement. I borrowed this from another preacher, but it's mine now. Hallelujah. Give attribution one or two times and then it's the Holy Ghost. Amen. Hallelujah. Bold prayers. Honor God. And God honors bold prayers. Amen. They prayed a bold prayer and he honored that prayer and he gave them boldness. And they went out and preached the name of Jesus more powerfully than they did before. Hallelujah. I like to think about it like this. I think God was so pleased with their attitude that he got off of his throne. And he said, listen to the way they're praying. They just got in trouble. Their lives are at risk and they want more boldness. Amen. And God just starts saying, I like that. I like that a lot. Hallelujah. Glory to God. It started shaking that building where they're praying. Amen. Hallelujah. Woo. Hallelujah. For those of you listening to my podcast, Dr. Scott had a Pentecostal moment and started stomping the floor in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We need to rise up and ask 
for that same spirit of boldness to overtake the Christians of America. Starting with us, amen, hallelujah. Starting with Faith Life Fellowship, amen. Are you a candidate for that kind of boldness? I am, hallelujah. Let the name of Jesus be lifted up over Wilmington. Through mighty signs and wonders, let people see that Jesus is real and alive. Let people see that are stuck in the depths of addiction see that there's deliverance in the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Glory to God. When Christians start lifting up the name of Jesus like that, we will shake this nation just like God shook the room where they prayed that day. In the name of Jesus, amen. Hallelujah. So let's wrap it up with another prayer, another sample prayer that we can pray over America, emphasizing the name of Jesus. Father God, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ, the anointed one of Nazareth. We pray for the church of America. Lord, help us to be more like Jesus in word and in deed as a church and as individuals. As we lift up the name of Jesus over America, fill us with the same spirit of boldness that the early church asked for and received when they walked the earth. As we preach the word of God with boldness, pour out your miracle working power all over our nation in Jesus' name. Yes, confirm your word in us and through us by signs, wonders, and miracles, and let it affect every sphere of influence in our nation. Lord, shake this nation and let us shake this world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, the anointed one of Nazareth. If you're in agreement, say amen. amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. We hope you enjoyed part five of today's message titled Tools of Prayer for America. If you would like to learn more about Faith Life Fellowship and to access more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, you can visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington 